yeah, it's only an hour, Jeff. How Jordan Scruggs, Jordan, what's going on today, man? Man, nothing, nothing much. Nothing Jordan, much. I love you, man. I know you work hard. Why does it always sound like you just woke up from like a 14-hour nap? I mean, it is true sometimes. Sometimes I'll wake up at like 10.30, hop in the shower real quick, but... Hey, man. Depends on the day, yeah. you know. Hey, real quick, before we get going, you know I'm a, you know I'm a sports car guy, right? Um, I just got to show some of my Longhorn pickups. Dude, it is a buyer's market right now. I'm getting stuff on the cheap. That's a Xavier Worthy, first Bowman refractor auto. Picked that up. I had a bunch of eBay coupons, Jordan, at the end of the year that were going to expire, and I'm like, well... Uh, if you don't lose, use it, you lose it. So I uh, went ahead and loaded that up. Finishing off my Longhorn Contenders rookie auto runner, Michael Dixon right there. Michael Dixon rookie auto. And then that's a, been a chase card for me for a long time, man. The Ricky Williams Contenders auto. So a couple good, couple good Longhorn pickups. All right, man. Uh, we got some let's, – let's do some portal stuff to start off. I do want to hit – the end of the season and and just get some thoughts out from the game last night as I'm working on a thoughts piece right now for horns 24 seven, kind of some sugar bowl residuals slash stuff that carried over to the game last night and really kind of putting a bow on 2023 and moving on to 2024. Uh, I will, I will have a projected depth chart for the 2024 longhorns up later today. So that'll be up. Um, but Jordan, I want to start with some portal stuff. Shout out to our guy Hank South for reporting that Kendrick Blackshire, the Alabama linebacker, formerly of Duncanville, formerly of Mesquite Horn, looking at a visit to Texas possibly this weekend. Uh, I look at this move, Jordan. It's one of those deals. If if you know, it's at least worth kicking the tires for starters. Because it, let's say David Benda, who to, unless he's made a decision in the last 10 minutes I'm not aware of, uh, hasn't decided whether he's going to use his COVID redshirt year to return. If he doesn't come back, Kendrick Blackshire, you could have a lot worse guys in that room just to give you a veteran presence with a lot of young linebackers in that room that are probably going to need it, that can benefit from it. Uh, he could probably be a, you know, either your backup to probably at this point in his career, probably your backup to Leonga LaFowle. Uh, and if you've got, you know, LaFowle's going to be in a starting role, most likely for the first time in his career this year. Uh, I, you know, my projected depth chart is trying to, trying to piece some of these freshmen in certain places, man, was tough. But I, I you know, Samaje Burrell looks like he could be a guy at that, at that Mike linebacker position that could function. Uh, again, just a guy to bring along the young guys and a guy that can, you know, give you, you can count on, hey, he can give us, I don't know, 15-ish, 10 to 15 quality snaps a game without asking him to do more than what his skill sets. I thought that was the best thing about David Benda this year, Jordan. It's like they didn't ask him to do, I felt like during the Todd Orlando run, uh, you know, Vance Bedford's deal was more of they just had young linebackers that hadn't grown into those roles yet, like a Malik Jefferson and cats like that, uh, Anthony Wheeler. But I felt like during the Todd Orlando run, whether it was Delia Dayway or Jawan Mitchell, they were just asking guys to do stuff that was just their skill sets weren't fit for it. Um, and I think there was some of that PK's first year. You saw that with some roster adjustment. But once PK and Jeff Choke got their guys in there, figured out who they could count on, uh, 
they they did a much better job, and I don't know if there's a better example of that than Benda of hey, we're gonna give you snaps, but we're not gonna ask you to do things that you're not capable of doing. Uh, and I feel like they do that with Kendrick Blackshard. Just if you, if you do stuff that fits his skill set, and he's healthy, he can be a he can be a, a good piece for you for defense. Yeah, um, not gonna lie, I haven't watched a ton of Alabama this year outside of when they played Texas. Um, but based off just the type of player he was in high school and kind of, you know, now that he's built the same and is bigger, faster, and stronger than he was in high school, um, if he goes to Texas, I don't I don't think he's on the field at all on third and longs. No. Um, and I feel like that's pretty, pretty safe to say. Um, in high school, he was a great run defender, obviously. Uh, he went viral because that, that photo of him when he was like a junior and looks like a grown-ass man because, um, I mean, he was a grown-ass man. <laughs> um, it, a lot, I think a lot of people were expecting him to kind of become like the next great Alabama linebacker just off seeing those photos of him and didn't really watch him a ton. Yeah. Um, and so I've kind of seen on Twitter since he's entered the portal some people being like, oh, this is a steal. We need to go after this guy, like, you know, I don't know. Like, there's a reason he's leading Alabama. Um, I'm not arguing against Texas or anything, but I think he's very much a uh, kind of a niche defender, if that makes sense. Like, you yep. can't have him on the field for – like, how many situations can you be on the field for and you're not worried about, I don't know, like uh, – Name, name a good SEC running – like, a guy like Baxter or Keelan Robinson, even though Keelan's leaving, or Jaden Blue, what the hell is Blackshire going to do on a wheel route? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's stuff a guy, like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, early downs, mm-hmm. for sure, as a, as, a, as a backup. And then beyond that, it's purely situational. Uh, short yardage, yeah. red zone, goal line, stuff like that. I think it's probably, probably where you want him. Yeah, <laughs> Coach Four Twenty asks is Mo Blackwell coming back? Hell yeah, he's uh, coming back. Yeah, uh, and also for those of you who who don't know, I think most already know, but Texas players can't enter the portal anymore. Um, well, I mean, non grad transfers can't, I believe, right? Yeah. Grad transfers still can. Um, yeah. Or if like Sark gets fired tomorrow, the whole team can leave, of course. Um, but. Uh, Let's, let's yeah. hope that doesn't happen. Hope you didn't just put some kind of bad juju. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Nah. Um, the other two portal guys I want to talk about, uh, the Liberty receiver, CJ Daniels. Um, again, this has all been Hank mostly because I was in San Antonio for the large majority of the week and he came back. Um, so I'm kind of getting caught up on some of the portal stuff. But uh, CJ Daniels visited Texas. It kind of took off that he was there because – Texas fans found his mom's Instagram account and saw a picture of him on his visit. And when he was taking the, the visit photos in the Texas jersey, it wasn't a Big 12 patch. It was an SEC patch. Yeah. Um, so that kind of took off. A lot of people kind of know that name, CJ Daniels. Um, not a ton of new information. Uh, I can say that whenever Hank spoke with him a few days ago coming out of the Texas visit, he did say at the time he has no other visit scheduled. Um that's obviously a green flag for Texas. Um, you know, whenever, especially in the portal, um, in high school, you always kind of want the last visit. In the portal, they can kind of sign whenever. So, you know, I would say shoot for the first one. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that Texas is 
the only school of one school that he's visited is definitely a good note. Um, the other hand, uh, Silas Bolden from Morgan State, uh, Greg Biggins, who's our West Coast national guy, wrote about him yesterday. He's got four OBs set yeah. up. The first one is going to be Texas. Um, the next will be Arizona, and then uh, USC and Washington are the last two. I can't remember which order they go in. Um, he's a smaller slot guy, speedy guy, um, different. Him and him and CJ Daniels are completely different uh, receiver types. A few days ago, or about a week or two ago, um, Bryson Rogers from Ohio State had entered the portal. We reported he's someone that you know could be a name to potentially watch um, as. Silas Bolden and C.J. Daniels, it seems like, you know, they're kind of trending towards Texas, or at least Texas is going to be a very legitimate contender for both of them. Um, obviously, Bolden hasn't made it to campus yet or taken any visits yet, so I feel better about where they're at for um, Bolden. I meant for Daniels and Bolden. Um, but with Bryson Rogers, like, I mean, the, the portal's tricky and tough because schools will like a kid a lot when he enters the portal, and then two days later, three other all-conference players at the same position have entered, you know? So um, I'm not fully crossing Bryson Rogers off, I guess, our radars, but I do think kind of C.J. Daniels emerging as, as an option for Texas and Bolden emerging as an option for Texas has kind of hurt uh, Bryson Rogers to Texas and that um, – yeah. You know, right now, I'd expect him to end up elsewhere and, and not in Austin. Yeah, uh, the C.J. Daniels thing is really interesting because, I mean, it just shows you that, that patience can pay off in the portal. You know, they, Matthew Golden was their number one guy, like we talked about. They didn't – they probably knew they were going to need another portal receiver, but rather than reaching for a guy, you know, hey, there, there were going to be worse things in the world Jordan, than trying to say, all right, Ryan Wingo, Parker Livingstone, Freddie DuBose, you, you guys, hey, Aaron Butler, y'all, y'all get ready to roll because this this receiver rotation, there's going to be spots up for grabs, and your patient, lo and behold, a thousand yard receiver kind of just, I don't want to say falls in your lap, but it looks like it's he's on his way to falling in your lap right before you start winter conditioning next week. Yeah. Um. And I mean, most colleges are starting class Monday, right? Uh, it'd be Tuesday because Monday's the holiday with the MLK right. day. Yeah. So we pretty much have until Tuesday um, to keep seeing movement, like in terms of guys making decisions. Because again, unless you're a grad transfer, unless you're on one of the national championship teams, you can't enter anymore, or at least until April. Um, so. You know, pretty much even in the portal, as crazy as it sounds, like even after they sign, nothing is 1,000% official until they're enrolled and have showed up to an actual class. And like Jeff said, that starts Tuesday. So um, until then, there's probably going to be uh, some movement. I'd expect something with Texas for sure before Tuesday. Um, just because, again, that's kind of the deadline for when these guys need to have their decisions made. So... Let's see if I'm looking at the spring semester for Texas. Uh, spring registrations going on. What is today, Jordan? The ninth. So uh, yeah, yeah, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's registration for new undergraduate and all graduate students who have not yet registered. Uh, you've got 16th as the first day of class. Uh, your last day to, let's see, last day to add a class 
approval would be required would be January 31st. Damn. So, so if you're a guy like Daniel, you, you mean you can have technically until the end of the month, uh, the last day to add a class without permission is the 19th. So the 19th realistically is the day you're looking at, like if a guy's going to make a decision, he's probably going to want to be on campus by then. Cause dude, if you're getting to campus on the 31st, now you you've missed what two, two and a half weeks of winter conditioning at that point. So yeah, big difference between missing like three or four days and missing several weeks. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the game last night? I fell asleep like halfway through the second <laughs> half. I'm dead um, serious. Like I woke up and the game was over. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of things. One, uh, Penix was even when Michigan didn't get pressure on him, he was not the same guy that was yeah. just you know firing piss missiles all game against Texas. To borrow your term from yesterday, but I'm just gonna pocket that and rehab reuse it. So. Thank you for that, Jordan. Uh, Penix was off. Michigan, I think, showed you, you know, Texas had two great defensive linemen this year with Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. And But I think Michigan showed you, if you're a Texas fan, I think is where you can be optimistic. What happens when you really, truly invest in, from a recruiting standpoint, recruiting high school guys. Man, we've seen, man, it is really hard to, especially with the offensive line, to build the lines of scrimmage through the portal. You can add a piece here or there. It's really hard to just build those things through the portal. Michigan shows you showed you what happens when you build those things out through traditional recruiting and you develop your guys. I think the other part that I took from that is Jim Harbaugh is a great example of be true to who you are as a coach. Have a have a vision for that and have an appropriate way and a proper way to go attack that vision and see it through. That, that again, that's another area where I feel like if you're a Texas fan, you should feel really good about Sark because, man, Jordan, whether it was Mac Brown at the end, Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, those guys had visions and either the vision was completely distorted from reality or they got away from it at some point or whatever the case was never fit, never went through with it. It, it just didn't get there. Uh, Sark is a guy that from day one had a vision for what he wanted this program to be, what he wanted the identity to be, the kind of players he wanted, not just from a, a culture perspective, but Hey, this is the kind of, I want to be, I want to have just massive bodies and length uh, close to the ball. And I want to have elite speed and playmaking ability on the edges. And he's going about building the roster that way. Uh, I think that I think that's kind of looking at Michigan last night and, know, and knowing the trajectory Texas is on. I feel good about that. Uh, the other thing was, and I, I know this is, this is kind of the hot button issue. As a matter of fact, I just saw Chip in his morning brew column on the site at Horns 24-7. Uh, about running the football and how Texas probably should have done more of it. And, and they should have done more of it against Washington. But let's not pretend for Texas like running the football more was this surefire guaranteed way to punch a ticket to the national championship game. Um, because last I checked, Jordan, 
C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue in that Texas offensive line, they're not responsible for rushing the passer, which in turn they're not responsible for, for in turn covering a group of wide receivers that you should have no business. If you're covering them for more than two, two and a half seconds, it's probably a battle you're losing. So I think what it showed was Michigan from a D-line standpoint, did they have any single one player as dominant as Sweat or Murphy was this year? No, but they had just really good, solid pieces across the edge. They built that thing the right way. And the underrated thing about Michigan's defense, too, that I I, I knew this having watched Michigan this year. I don't think people put a lot of stock into it. But, man, when you got to do like Will Johnson, who is a legit lockdown corner at this level, yeah. Man, it makes things so much easier on you from a from what you can call the kind of stunts or pressures you can call, uh, you know, running split coverages on the back end. It, it just completely can change how you are. I mean, honestly, Jordan, the la- Texas. If you look at since they came off that that run, the last time they played for a national championship, where you had Curtis Brown, Shockey Brown, Aaron Williams in the secondary at corner. The closest thing Texas has had to a quote-unquote lockdown corner since then, Holton Hill in 2017, which if yeah. if he if Holton Hill had had his you-know-what together, Holton mm-hmm. Hill would have been a top 100 draft pick. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, my guy Rod Babers, who Rod's way more connected with people in the NFL than I am, Rod said Pete, when before he got in trouble at the Combine, there were plenty of teams that had second round grades on Holden Hill. What exactly did he do at the combine? Because I don't failed, remember what was his whole fault. Failed, failed the weed test. <laughs> Which I love, I love Hollywood Hill, but if you fail the weed test at the combine, you failed the idiot test. Yeah. Because like at least know, like have it be diluted or something. You know I mean. you're going to be tested there. It's not a surprise. You know the test is going to happen. So yeah. that's more of a common. I think if you're an NFL team, it's not so much the weed. It's like, dude, you didn't have the common sense to understand that you're going to be tested here. It, it yeah. just, it just. Yeah, I knew, no I knew he was who got in his own way, but I couldn't remember exactly what it was that he did. Um, no, anytime I hear combine or something bad happen at the combine, I always think of uh, Ruben Foster, <laughs> who apparently like. Um, I think the story, so he failed his drug test. It showed up as diluted. And mm-hmm. I think the full story was like, he showed up to wherever they had him take it. And like, there was a big line and he tried to skip everyone. <laughs> and he <laughs> caused a big scene. Cause they were like, you can't, you gotta go to the back of the line. And he was like, do you know who the fuck I am? Like I'm Ruben Foster. <laughs> and like it, it blew up and he went from being like a lock for the top five to going, I think, 31 or 32 overall to San Fran because we trade. I'm a 49ers fan. The 49ers traded up to you. Adam, and I was just like, thank Like, dude, you couldn't believe how excited I was, too. That was that was John Lynch and Shanahan's first ever draft. And they got uh, Solomon Thomas second or third overall. I forgot which one. Kittle was the fifth round pick in that draft. And then the third round was... uh. CJ Beathard from Iowa. So, and hey man, you will you will not find me uh, saying anything bad about the pride of Capel Solomon Thomas. Good, dude. yeah, he yeah, good dude. Just not a <laughs> great, not not worth the number two or three pick. Looking, yeah, 
Yeah. It's really weird, though. I heard, I don't want to get too far off on this tangent, but like uh, Chris Long had uh, Mike Mayock on his podcast. Chris Long actually has a really good podcast going. He has a lot of NFL people on there. Yeah, I've seen clips of it. I've never watched it, but it always looks pretty good when I see it. And they were talking about Mayock's drafts when he was the GM with the Raiders. And, I mean, some people will tell you, okay, that was John Gruden making the first-round picks, and then Mike Mayock pretty much did the rest of the draft. They're talking about, like, they took the year they took Cleveland Farrell in the first round out of Clemson. I think we're taking fourth overall. They yeah. took Max Crosby in the third round. And Mayock's like, okay, well. Uh, I if, thought Max Crosby was like a day three guy who went uh, like five or six or seven. Was a third? Let me let me look that I up. I don't know. I know he's a, a lot of people don't know this. He's actually from Dallas. Or D-Dub. Mac, uh, yeah, Colleyville Heritage. Mac, yeah, Max Crosby fourth was fourth round. round. Fourth round. Yeah. They took Max Crosby, I thought it was a third. But they took him in the fourth. And Chris Long's argument was, you know, you took, Cleveland, you took Cleveland Farrell in the first and Max Crosby in the fourth, and you're an idiot. If you flip those picks, you're a genius. Like, you still ended up getting an all-pro edge rusher at the end of the day. So what the hell does it matter? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those deals, man. Uh, but uh, I, uh, um, going back to the game, though, having a guy like Will Johnson, that's why I said, man, when I look at this Texas defense, you know, Sart did a really good job prioritizing offense in terms of how he built this roster early on. And you look at where they are on offense now. That's why I saw on the board, uh, you know, Texas in our in the 24-7 sports way too early rankings for 2024, which came out at halftime of the game last night. And that's uh, – actually, I can give you names. It's Chris, Chris Hummer, Brad Crawford, Brandon Marcello, and I think Cody Nagel. There might be one more person – that voted on that. But basically it was our, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. 24, 24, seven sports national staff, Chris Hummer, Brad Crawford, Bud Elliott, Brandon Marcello, Cody Nagel. They basically voted, uh, on next year's top 25 and they had Texas at number two. And I mentioned this on the board today, Jordan. It's like, well, I mean, Texas loses a lot. Kind of why a number two ranking, even in a way too early poll that at the end of the day, isn't going to make much of a difference. Uh, kind of makes you nervous. I'm like, well, got to think about this. Re- the reloads, even for the contending teams that do it the right way and build through high school recruiting like Sarkis, even mm-hmm. for those teams, the reload happens infinitely earlier yeah. in the NIL era. And oh, yeah. portal one-time transfer. The reload's going to have to happen earlier. And yeah, we're not – Texas isn't in the college football. This is one thing everyone, I think, needs to realize. As happy as I am that – Texas is back, I, I guess, back to relevance. Yeah, they're back to relevance. None of this is happening without NIL, the transfer portal. Right. Like, or at least this quick, this quick in year three. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone can agree on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, sorry. We've never brought that up. Sorry for interrupting you. No, dude. But, yeah, uh, no, you're exactly right. Because if, you know, I mean – I know, I know Quinn's story is great, but without, you know, NIL, do you, do you get Quinn? Do you get Quinn? Exactly. Back? Do you get some of those guys you've gotten on the offensive line with the help of the Pancake Factory? Yeah. Some of them. Maybe not all of them. Yeah. I know uh, the, the defense looks different without NIL. I know that. Yeah. Take out Jade Barron. 
take out Anthony Hill, Colin Simmons. Yeah. Well, it, me, a lot of guys. Yeah. I'm not saying it's just because of NIL, but it has a big it has a big factor in it. It really does. It does um, yeah. And it's not okay. like these dudes weren't getting paid before under the table and all that. But like there are. I mean, how many schools can you think of that have benefited from NIL more than Texas has? Like, seriously, I because I think it's them in Oregon almost and. I mean, anyone else? I mean, Washington. I don't know Washington from. I don't know how much. I don't know what Washington's NIL setup is, Jordan. But I mean, you look at the amount of guys they've gotten in the portal. They they built some of those. Some of those guys were recruits that Kalen DeBoer inherited from Jimmy Lake. But they've they've done like Penix, Jabbar Muhammad. Yeah, they've done a really good job of, of adding the pieces that they needed to add through the portal. Yeah, they also. I just I know I got a whole lot of uh backstory to how this Washington team was put together because um during the week of San Antonio I was down there with uh, obviously our whole network but Cooper Patagna who's one of our national guys in Nashville um is on the scouting team he was there and um I guess if you know Coop you probably know that he used to work in in college personnel departments yeah. and was actually on Jim Harbaugh's Michigan staff early on um and was his last job in the college space is actually on the Washington staff about two was years Coop, ago. Did Coop leave? Was he there with Jimmy Lake or did he leave when Chris Peterson left? I'm not a hundred percent sure if I okay. or I, I I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know exactly when he left. He told me, but I forgot. Um but I do know like Roma Dunze, like he was talking about how he was who picked him up from the airport on his OB and like all these other guys that they hosted that are now on the team. And, like, how Washington really felt about them coming out of high school. Like, for example, he talked about scouting Puka Nakua. Because Puka Nakua originally went to Washington. Mm -hmm. They were, like, his first offer, or one of them, and they loved him. And he always talked about how, like, uh, I forgot the other name that they were down to is prioritizing as, like, the number one. Is it Puka or is it this other guy from his class? And he talked about how the whole staff had a sit-down conversation in a room and they were like, okay, like, this Puka kid loves to smoke the reefer, but, you know, <laughs> we really think it, it's worth, like, those red flags we think are worth it for the type of player he is um, compared to this guy where he has this off-the-field issue and he's not even as good as Puka or whatever. Like, different things like that really opened my eyes to how decisions are made and how programs yeah. are put together. But uh, I think a big thing for Washington that wasn't talked about enough was how 21 of their 22 starters were seniors or older. You know, like that was also a big part of it. And while, you know, the portal did help him with Jabbar Muhammad and uh, Penix, obviously, like a lot of these guys are homegrown. They're just like 26. Yeah. Um, nine, nine yeah. 60 or seniors UW had on this roster. Yeah. Wow. The Titans hired Vrabes or fired Vrabes. Really? Yeah. Six huh. and eighteen, the last two seasons. Interesting. Yeah, it's gonna be just gonna be a change. Or six and eighteen for, stretch well, over the last. Well, two you seasons. know what? This is gonna be karma for wearing Oilers jerseys this year. A lot of dudes gonna be out of jobs in Nashville. So, don't ever do that again, Titans. Don't don't wear the Oilers throwbacks. They look cool, but no team from Tennessee should be wearing the Oilers throwbacks. Yes, you wear the Tennessee Oilers. I get it, but. Don't do it again. Um, 
But no, getting back, just wrapping up my thoughts on the game last night. Um, again, we talked about running the football. You know, Michigan did it, but it, that that to me is one of those. And Jordan, you're at this point where it's time to nitpick, right? Like you've proven, Steve Sarkeesian's proven he can get you to the cusp of a national championship as a head coach. But now you're at the point where, okay, what do you now need to do to get over that hump and win the whole thing? And I just think it was Michigan's willingness. And, and they got away from it at the end of the first half where they started throwing the ball a little bit. Then it's almost like Sharon Moore and Jim Harbaugh went at halftime and told J.J. McCarthy, like, look, dude, we love you, but this isn't your game. We're, we're just going to pound the rock the entire way on these dudes. We'd be stupid not to. Um, I think it, the Sark, it, it, it was that willingness to really buy into who they are by that Michigan staff that carried them across the finish line last night. I think it's going to be Sark's patience going forward that's going to continue to be tested in these big games. Because, again, Washington, Jordan, what they did was no different than what they did last year. Um, last year, they were willing to concede the short pass. In the Alamo Bowl, they were willing to concede the short and intermediate passing game because they didn't feel like Sark and by proxy Quinn had the patience to dink and dunk their way down the field. And by the time they made the adjustment, it was too late. That That's my biggest, if I have a complaint about Sark as a play caller, that that's my one complaint. It's not that he fails to make adjustments. They're too late. Yeah, the adjustments and sometimes come too late. That was, dude, I couldn't tell you the amount of times me and my friends talked about that during the 2021 season where how, it was like five games in a row that he blew a, a lead in. Yeah. Right? Something like that. And how many games was it that it was a double-digit lead? Yeah. <laughs> like two or three of them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that was all adjustments. All yeah. adjustments. Yeah. And I'm happy that it got out of his system or mostly out of his system year one. I also think, obviously, not having your players there and the players that were in the program in year one and actually um, execution and, like, executing the plays and what the coaches want you to do. That's obviously a part of it too, but yeah, like I'd be a fool to come up here and act like some of that stretch wasn't on Sark because a lot of it, well, a lot of yeah. it was. For no, sure. and uh, you know the other part of that is even in twenty two, like the one game that sticks out from twenty two was the TCU game. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember towards the end of that game, they started to go in more empty formation. They went to the quick passing game. They spread it out, and that's where like Jordan Whittington started eating TCU alive. It's just by that yeah. point, you're. You're down by double digits now, you're, and, mm-hmm. and you're and you're the clock is the biggest opponent you have at that point. It's just like you found the adjustment, you just you just went to it too late. And man, we talked about this on Longhorn Blitz last week, and I got hit up by a couple of my football buddies last night talking. About, we're talking about this, like Sark finding that schematic advantage is one of those. You can say it's a nitpicky thing, but that's one of those things you're looking at. Now, like, hey, if Texas is going to get pushed themselves over the top, Sark has to give this team a schematic advantage in, in those big at the CFP games. Um, <laughs> we're talking about last night, though. It just was, Sar- you know, we're talking about Sarge's patience. It's like, man, I really hope that, uh, I think it was Katie George doing sideline for the Sugar Bowl. I really hope she misspoke when she was talking about Sark scripting plays. I really hope he doesn't script out 40 plays. Or or that that, that, the, that number was really misinterpreted. Because if you want to tell me Sark scripts out the first 15 and then he scripts like his first third down, his first third third down calls of the game 
first red zone calls, first, you know, goal line calls, whatever. Okay, I'll buy that. But if you're going to tell me he's just got a script of 40 plays that he's just going off of, that's number one, that's hard for me to believe. But number two, Jordan, if it's true, if it, let's, just, let's just lean into this theory, right? If that's true, I wonder why it takes you so long to make adjustments because your script takes you into the third quarter. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I really, really hope that that is not an accurate number. I don't think it is. I think it was misinterpreted, but I could be wrong. But no, that's kind of my general feelings on the game, man. It, it, it reinforces how close they are. And I think I told you this, but I didn't really realize until I'm on the shuttle leaving the Superdome, going back to the hotel to write after the Sugar Bowl. And I told Chip and Eric, Eric Henry on the shuttle, I was like, you know what? I've, man, I've followed this team the whole year. I've covered this program. I've been in the market since 08. Uh, I've seen good Texas teams. I've seen great Texas teams. I've seen mediocre Texas teams and I've seen bad Texas teams. I said, you guys realize that for me, it's not until this moment right now that I realize how close they were to, to playing for a national championship. Like, I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just that I, it's hard for me at this point to just my jaded sense of having been around this thing and falling for the, the banana in the tailpipe one too many times. Like, or I'm, I'm Charlie Brown and I know Lucy's going to pull that damn football back right when I get ready to kick it. It's, is the inability to see the forest of the trees at that point. I was like, man, cause, cause I was like, dude, Texas played a C to C plus game against Washington and still had the ball with in the last 15 seconds yeah. in the red zone with a chance to win. You know, that, that just shows you, that shows you where they're at from a talent perspective and where this, where this program is and this coaching staff is in terms of a player development perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You wanna you wanna talk NFL playoffs? Uh not yet. Put that on the on the back burner for a second because I do want to bring this up, man. Uh the AP poll came out, you know, one, two o'clock this morning. Texas finishes third in the AP poll. Uh and I man, I just I like looking at weird stuff like this, Jordan. I do. I'm just like I'm fascinated by looking at stuff like this. And I mentioned this in uh there's an AP poll thread uh, on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7. But I, I just mentioned how weird it is that this is the first time since 2014 that the SEC did not have a team finish in the top three. And if you look at the order of finish, the final 2014 AP poll and the final 2023 AP poll it is the exact three teams it is three teams representing the exact same conferences in order that are ahead of the highest sec finisher so this year michigan from the big 10 one washington for the pac 12 two texas from the big 12 three georgia's the highest sec finisher at four you had a 2014 ohio state from the big 10 was one oregon from the pac 12 was two tcu from the big 12 was three and then alabama was the highest sec finisher at four People can talk about the relevance of the AP poll now, which it's only relevant to me until the first CFP rankings come out, and then those are the real rankings the rest of the way. Yeah. But the fact that a decent chunk of this roster were toddlers and like kindergarten and then in kin or kindergartners and first graders 
the last time Texas finished this high in the poll, which was number two in 2009. It's a big deal, man. And this is something that if you're Sark, it's just, is it the biggest feather you have in your cap? No, but it's another one, Jordan, that when you get recruits on campus for that junior day coming up in a couple of weeks, you damn sure know they're going to hear about a number three finish in the AP poll along with a Big 12 championship and a college football playoff appearance and everything else this program has going on. It's just just another another feather in the cap, man. It's a big deal. And don't think for two seconds that for Sark now, I know Sark can poo-poo rankings preseason and during the season all he wants, but when the dust settles, if you are one of the three best teams in the country, damn right you're going to sell that. You're going to ride that momentum. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, hmm. I, I'm most interested for just like thinking about next year, the, the SEC teams, the new, the new teams that they're going to play every year. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least like playing a, playing A&M again, man. Like it's exciting. Um, it's exciting. And while I'm, while I'm going to miss like the, okay. Like who does Texas got this week? Okay. West Virginia. Uh, sweet. It's like a bye week. Like I'm going to miss that. <laughs> You know, I mean, you don't really get that in the SEC unless, like, who do we got this week? Oh, Vanderbilt. Sweet. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, even Mississippi State in a rebuild year one under Levy, like, Texas plays Mississippi State in Austin, right? You know, let's yeah. say that game's on the road. Like, that's a hard game to win. And even if it's at home, like, no conference games in the SEC are easy matchups. Um but just how much harder it gets from here on out is something that I'm interested to see. Because the four-team playoff, like, the the way – I don't want to get all big brain here. The way scientists talk about where Earth is and the galaxy is called, like, the Goldilocks zone, that's kind of where Texas was last year, this, this past season. Like, it's only four teams, so to get to the natty, you only have to win one playoff game. Mm-hmm. You're in the Big 12, which is a thousand times easier than the SEC. Um, your rival that's kind of been kicking your ass the last few years, much as I hate to admit it, Oklahoma is down, is in a down year. You still lost to them, um, but they're in a down year. The rest of the Big 12, you manage to run through everyone and play them, win the last time you ever play them, so you have bragging rights forever. Yeah. But it's like, man, now you got to, okay, we got to go to the swamp this week. Next week, we got Tennessee at home. After that, we got to go to Death Valley. Oh, it's Black Friday. Now we have AM. Like, that's not easy. It's no. way harder from here on out. So But with See, playoff expansion, with playoff expansion, though, yeah. it does increase your odds where you can it you does. can put up a you can put up a ten and two. Hell, I don't know how it's gonna work out. Maybe you can put up a nine and three if your if your strength of schedule is high enough. Maybe you can sneak into that thing, you know? Yeah, and also like the people love March Madness and college basketball because like the, I don't know. This is let's say the the team like Duke, the number one seed. People love seeing the 16 seed take them down, even though it rarely happens. Like those games are fun to watch. Yeah. Like I'm just already seeing this argument happen from college football fans that the, a one or two or three seed is going to be undefeated and they're going to lose to like Liberty or the G5 team that no, got invited no. or, or not not Liberty, but. I don't know. Let's say the the ten seed, yeah, who went nine and three and barely snuck in or whatever, ten and two, and they take down the undefeated team. The undefeated team's fans are just going to be bitching and moaning about how it should be a fourteen playoff. 
Like I'm already right. envisioning it happening. Yeah. So just like I'm sure there's been fan bases in the four team era that said, well, you know, if this was the BCS, we wouldn't even had to play this game. We're just going right into the championship game. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But I, I do like the fact that with conference expansion, uh, oh, Karen, I know, man, I, I was seeing some of your tweets last night. But hey, you know, it's, I don't know, man. I'm, Jordan, I'm feeling, I just feel optimistic, man. Like, I don't, the, the pain of losing the semifinal, yeah, it sucks. I wanted to cover. Dude, I told you, when Texas was not very good when I was a kid, I had to have another team to root for. And I decided in 1991 that team was Michigan because Desmond Howard won the Heisman that year and Michigan had badass helmets. So, like, my 12-year-old self was nudging the hell out of me during the Sugar Bowl. Was like, you realize now Texas wins next week in Houston is going to be the greatest thing of all the great things that have ever happened in the history of time with a Texas-Michigan national championship. In the history of Jeff Howe. Yes. Uh, But it didn't happen. But no, it's... 12-year-old Jeff Howe will have to wait a few more months. Yeah. And he'll get what he wants. Oh, and you you know I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in the big house. It's... uh, I'm I'm almost tearing up right now thinking about how I'm going to react to being at the big house for the first time. But... You know, when you look at just where Texas has it, man, I I think I said this earlier. Offensively, I have faith in Sark and his staff that they'll develop the tools they need to to be a competitor on offense year in and year out in the SEC. And defensively, I really do think they are an elite edge rusher and a lockdown-type corner away from – being a team that can really say, yeah, we've got a chance to win a national championship. Uh, not that they didn't this year, but you know what I mean? Like going to the season and that not being such an outside the box concept. And man, look, they've recruited, you know, whether it's Colin Simmons or, or Trey Moore for a year, two years, whatever it is. I mean, they're, they're bringing in the kind of bodies that they need to get those kind of edge rushers. And whether it's Manny Muhammad or whoever it ends up being, and they've got enough guys in the pipeline to where they can find that lockdown type corner. They can develop that guy. They're good enough guys in this program for you to find that guy. So yeah. the pieces are there for you. Defense is one of those spots, Jordan. Look, offense, you can mask a lot of your deficiencies up to a certain point with a great scheme. And I think as good as Texas is going to be on the offensive line next year, I don't think they're going to have to mask a whole lot especially if Quinn comes back and when Quinn comes back, whenever, whenever he gets ready to tell everybody that he's coming back, he's on his own time at this point, his own timeline, which is fine. But man, defense, you win with players on defense. And Michigan showed that last night. You win with players. Hell, Washington showed that in the, in, in the sugar bowl. Uh, they had the best by far, the best closest to elite edge guy on the field. But Braylon Trice, it wasn't even close. Yeah, that's and the best edge that his game versus sex is the best performance by uh I said by D Lyman. I was gonna say edge, but shit, man, dude, that might have been more impressive than anything we yeah. saw Tavondre do this year, as good as he was. Uh Sweat and Murphy had some games, but if, uh, as far as a Texas opponent, it was better than better than anything Alabama got out of Dallas Turner or Chris Braswell that, that night in Tuscaloosa back in September. Sure. And in Jabbar Muhammad, they had by far the best corner on the field yeah. in that semifinal. I mean, that's 
that 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 went a long way toward making the difference. It's again, man, it's a lot. I just, dude, the amount of people that I saw blaming P. Kwiatkowski for Texas shortcomings in that game, it's like, all right, unless PK was gonna squat down and crap out an elite ed, an elite edge rusher right before kickoff. Yeah, you know, you didn't have that guy. Like Ethan Burke played played his tail off. Uh, you know, Baron Sorrell gives you the most of what he's got. But Jordan, you, you've seen enough of these guys. Man, like Colin Simmons is a different cat. That's a different, it's a different caliber of guy you're gonna have with a chance to man that buck position along with Trey Moore for the next couple of years. Yeah, and um, I, I this isn't really the point you were on, but the the thing that I think again, he hasn't officially made it or he hasn't announced it and officially made it official, but we all know that Quinn is pretty much coming back, right? Or at least it's heavily trending towards that way. Texas going into week one of the season next year is going to have the best quarterback in college football, right? For last time since when? When is the last time entering week one of the season you felt good enough about what Texas had a quarterback to say, our guy's the best in the country, or could be one of the best. 2009. Ser- exactly. Because <laughs> I think Texas fans are saying it before the start of this year, but they didn't really even believe in themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I never said that going into last year, but I think this year you can say it. You I'll, know, I'll who, love, who else love, is in it? I loved Sam in 2020, but, man, the COVID year was just – it was so weird. Like, my, my focus, Jordan, during the COVID year was less on – does Texas have the best quarterback in this game to man? Are, are, are we, is, is something going to go wrong between now and kickoff on Saturday where this game's even going to be played? Yeah. So it, we were just dealing. I love Sam and I probably could have said, I would have said that before 2020, but man, it was a whole different ball of wax. And to Kieran's point right here. And I love, I love Kieran. I wish I could bring this up on the screen, Kieran, but I don't know how to, I, I don't have privileges or something. I, don't know I think you just click on it. Uh, oh, you never mind. I yeah. don't know. I don't, I don't have that privilege either. I guess. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I see in the chat, uh, your best players at premium positions is paramount. It is. So look at where, look at the offense, look at your premium positions on offense, right? Quarterback. You had a dude there this year, left yeah. tackle. You had a dude there this year. A legitimate number one receiver, you had that. And for a lot of other teams in the country, your number two would have been a number one for for those guys. But then you go to defense, man. You also had the number two tight end in college football. Yeah. Did you have – did you have – was one of your best players one of your edge guys? As much as – as good of things as we saw from Ethan Burke – and, you know, Baron Sorrell's been a real good, solid piece since he's been here. You couldn't say that about Edge. You couldn't say that about Corner either. And and I think, you know, now it'll never be valued as a premium position, but safety, the importance of it, we know, man, that might have been the weakest position group on defense this year. My, it was. It was. In my opinion, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think yeah and I don't, I don't think, think I need to couch that at this point. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, on top of that, like the only place you could say you had on defense where you say uh, uh, your top five to ten guys on your roster 
where you had him at a premium position on defense was your interior D line was Sweat and Murphy. But, you know, Washington did a really good job taking those guys out of the game, just kind of like Oklahoma did, where, okay, we're not going to run right at them because that ain't going to work. Uh, we're just basically going to turn our perimeter screen game into our run game. And you know what? If Devondre Sweat can run outside the numbers and make tackles, then so be it. And as great as Tavondre is, man, at 362 pounds, at some point, the human body can only take so many of those snaps, Jordan, where you're hauling ass down the line trying to run down a hitch or a bubble screen before you before you need to go catch your breath. So, um, yeah, and to Kieran's point again, kind of just putting a bow on what we talked about, man, edge, corner, and safety. They're really your weakest position groups on defense. Yeah. Another thing besides having – you know, what's expected to be the best quarterback in college football next year. You're also returning four or five starters on the offensive line. That's huge. Um, the Jake Majors problem is return. you just have to replace every single skill player. Yeah. The Jake Majors return is big, man. I know every, I know everybody likes to dump on. Trust me, man. Since I've been following this program, it was Matt Anderson. It was Jason Glenn. I, don't, I think – Lyle Sinline might be the only Texas center in my lifetime who didn't get dumped on by the fan base. Like Dallas Griffin, Chris Hall, Dom Espinosa, Zach Shackelford. Even Kerstetter got it some, right? Yeah. Was he? Yeah, I'm about to say. Kerstetter like, played center. center for him. He was, was kind of, yeah, he, he was. Kerstetter played everywhere on the offensive line. But it's pretty fashionable for this fan base to just take a big giant dump all over whoever's playing center. So Jake gets some of that just. Not anything he's done. It's just when stuff goes wrong on the offensive line, you just blame the center. Um, but yeah, I, think right. get, I think getting back a guy, man, who's a freaking 41-game starter uh, and has been with you and has played in the college football playoff and has been that important to you. Um, you know, I I love the Jake Majors deal, especially because – you know, the one question you have about Jake Majors, I think the one question you have about a lot of centers, okay, well, if you face a big, badass nose that you shade over the ball, can you handle him? Well, most centers in college aren't going to be able to handle him, uh, you know, unless you're like, you know, well, like Creed Humphrey, like you're the rare, yeah. you're the rare first-round center. But I think when you've got two guards like DJ Campbell, excuse me, you got two guards like DJ Campbell and, and Hayden Connor, and I would, I would like to see Cole Hudson continue to push to – to basically demand reps. Like if his play throughout the spring and his work in summer conditioning and then his work in camp is such that where he demands reps, he commands reps, then yeah, maybe he can, you know, you could have a really good interior of your offensive line. Jake Majors doesn't need to just dominate every play if he's yeah. got two badass guards next to him flanking him at all times. You know, you've got one of the best left tackles in the country in Kelvin Banks. And I want to go back and really dig into that K-State film and pretty much just watch a breakdown, just watch Cam Williams on every snap because I felt I feel like from a talent standpoint, I think he's an upgrade over Christian Jones. But what Christian had in pretty much every single intangible, whether it's experience, instincts, all that other stuff, you know, Christian had stuff that Cam just doesn't have right now just because of the lack of experience. But um, I don't, I, I, my initial gut, gut reaction, Jordan, is I don't think the drop off at right tackle, I think it'll be minimal, uh, if there's a drop off at all going from Christian Jones to Cam Williams. Damn. Sorry. Um, uh, Tacky Curtis from USC just committed to Wisconsin. Um, 
That's You're, yeah, y'all are probably like, who the hell is that? Uh, he's a four-star true freshman linebacker from uh, Maine, Louisiana. It's uh, basically like equivalent to um, like where Terry Bussey plays. Really small, yeah. tiny school. And uh, his dad was the head coach at Maine. They were one of the best programs in Louisiana, one state, like a few years in a row. Did you go like, to the game? Did you go to the game Arch's senior year? When I, I did. But that was that was versus okay. Tackett Curtis. Yeah. So yeah. he was like a top 100 player on every site pretty much, I think. A uh, four-star linebacker. And he would just hit the shit out of people. And awesome kid, awesome family. <laughs> and, like, I, I'll, I'll always remember this. There's a, there's a trainer in – um in Louisiana that's like one of my favorite people to talk football with. And I remember the first time I asked him, cause he's in Shreveport, Maney's like, it's really hard to get to Maney cause it's to the right of the, the state line. Yes. Yeah. And it's in way East uh, Louisiana mm-hmm. or way, way West Louisiana. My bad. Yeah. Um, and I asked him, like, what do you think about Tackett? He plays at the two way level. And he's like, man, Tackett needs to be in jail the way he hits people. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he says. So if y'all if y'all got time today, go and watch some Tackett Curtis highlights. It's just like uh, it's an NFL body flying around and just destroying kids from the sticks of Louisiana. It's kind of awesome. Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin. That's why I kind of raised my eyebrows. Like well, I, didn't, yeah. I figured, I figured he, he would end up in the SEC. Yeah, he played as a true freshman um, at USC. He played a lot. Um, and I remember his top two was USC and Ohio State, and it looked like he was going to Ohio State for most of the, the back half of it. But I think Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley really sold him on that defensive vision. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how they got him in the boat. But uh, that, vision was, that vision head was wearing beer goggles, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, what else we got here? Yeah, it was close your eyes, driving 90 on the freeway, Jordan, and open them right before you smack into the median. That was the vision of the USC defense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who? Yeah. Who did they uh, end up hiring as DC again? Uh, Danton Lynn. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, it was kind of a splash hire. I thought. Yeah. Danton Lynn, by the way. Uh, yes, yeah, son of Anthony Lynn, former Chargers head coach. Danton Lynn's a state of Texas guy. Played at Salina. Yeah. Hey, yo, that was sarcasm on the vision thing, by the way. I don't yeah. – <laughs> that is yeah. – no. <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, the, Wisconsin is interesting, but um, there was uh, – the the guy I was talking about earlier, Cooper Protegna, he actually happened to work with um, – God, what is his name? What's the name of the Wisconsin head coach's name that used to be at Cincinnati? Luke Fickle. Yes. He worked with him in the past, and he absolutely raved about him and loved him. And it was like he's not going to be at Wisconsin like much longer because someone else will hire him away. So um, I trust Coop on a lot of things. There was also some other guys who were in the personnel world uh, who were there and said similar things as well. So um, you know, can't can't hate on it. I'll be I'll be pulling for him. Yeah, he, he's kind of uh, he's. He's kind of – he's in that mold of, like, what you would think a Big Ten linebacker would be. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's what I said, like, being a kid from – basically from deep southeast Texas, deep southeastern Louisiana or whatever, southwestern Louisiana, uh, I figured he would be probably end up back in the SEC. But that that's kind of the gift and the curse of the state of Louisiana, right? There is no other Power 5 program 
in that yeah. state. If you're not going to, if you're not going to LSU, you're taking a massive step down in competition. Sorry, Tulane, Louisiana Tech, and any other alums. Hey, uh, before we get out of here, before you hand it off to Trey and BK, uh, uh, Karen, uh, if you're still in the chat, uh, don't be a stranger around here. Appreciate your support and always enjoy your contribution. So, uh, Ike, Sam, CB, uh, Casey, everybody that was in there today, uh, Longhorn Bear, great, great stuff in the chat today, and uh, it's kind of good. Trey, uh, I'll, I'll start this with you before BK here gets here. Jordan and I were talking, and I think there's a lot of Texas fans doing the what if today. You know, if Sark had made more of an effort to run the football, whatever. I, I'm just less concerned about that and less focused on that, and I'm more focused on, man, I really feel for the first time in a long time like this thing doesn't feel like a house of cards. It doesn't feel like a flash in the pan. And whether Texas is 11 and one or nine and three or whatever the record ends up being next year, like this is a team that this shouldn't be the last time they're in the final four competing for a national championship. No, definitely not. Especially with the expanded playoffs starting next year and then being in a conference that is going to receive as much respect with regards to rankings as any conference uh, alongside the Big Ten, of course. Yeah. Which is why a lot of people feel like it will ultimately turn into an SEC and Big Ten tournament maybe after the next couple of years when that TV deal uh, and the overall playoff is uh, the playoff contract, excuse me, is renewed. But yeah, this does feel like Texas has the pieces in place to sustain the success and a large part of that is Steve Sarkeesian and his coaches are doing a great job with roster management right now with as many guys as they are losing off of this year's team they are being very tactical about how they are going about replacing those guys through Mm -hmm. what already exists on the roster high school recruiting to a lesser degree but then also tackling the transfer portal as well as any program in the country right now yeah even if it's to get uh you know, to get a guy like Matthew Golden, your number one receiver, Trey Moore, your number one edge rusher, or now, I mean, we'll see if the visit pans out, but a guy like Kendrick Blackshire from Alabama, if you just decide, hey, a, a veteran, a veteran off-ball linebacker is a really important piece for us, then, yeah, he's worth, he's at the very least worth kicking the tires on. Trey, to your point, our way too early top 25 at 24-7 sports, I just looked at it with the new look SEC and the new look Big Ten. 12 of the top 13 teams in that top 25 or uh, yeah, 12 of the top 13 in that top 25 are either from the new look SEC or the new look Big Ten. Wow. You know, Who is Florida State? Notre Dame. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, about I forgot they existed. Forgot they existed. Yeah. Our guys had Florida State down at 22. Mm. Disrespect. I wonder if uh, the Florida governor will fire some sort of lawsuit for that. Um, yeah, watch out, Homer. <laughs> I'm planning I'm plan on having my wages garnished. They land in the transfer portal. They got somebody. I'm just not DJU. DJU. Yeah. So uh, they're going to get Cam Ward. Um, but uh, so Cam Ward was never going to Miami. He was just trying to get Florida State to up it. And on the other hand, DJU was calling Florida State like, hey, I'll literally go to y'all for like free. So they uh, made that decision, and Cam Ward said uh, nothing to do with NIL. Like, I, I've got a uh, Trey BK, whichever one of you guys wants to volunteer for this for the uh, for the sake of Texas sports unfiltered. I think a great exercise next next year would be a watch along 
where pick your drug of choice, whatever <laughs> it is, your substance of choice, yep. and do nothing but watch a Miami game, but don't really pay attention to the game. Follow Mario Cristobal calling a game, managing a game while you're under the influence of a substance and see what that experience is like. Mm. Yeah, I call that Saturday at 3 o'clock on the ACC network. <laughs> can, I, can I just do fentanyl so I don't have to go through that process of watching Miami football under Mario Cristobal? You you do you, Trey. You do, yeah. you do whatever you want. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be it for uh, Jordan and I today. Trey, BK, have a great show. And uh, whether it's Mario Cristobal on acid or whatever you guys are talking about today, have a great show. <laughs> Good job, guys. Thanks. See you all.